right, let's talk. Much of the nation is somewhere in the many and multiple phases of what they are calling a structured reopening. Uh, strategically opening specific sectors of our society and economy after an imposed lockdown. And we're seeing a gradual process where what has been closed is now being opened. And I believe in accordance with 1 Corinthians 15 that the natural world is whispering a prophetic truth to the church that specific doors that have been closed are about to be open. We dedicate this prophetic word to anybody that's been standing in the hallway waiting on something to open, waiting on an opportunity. Anybody that's been feeling the heaviness and the pressure that this long-imposed shutdown has been levying against our souls. Anybody that's been waiting on something to break and you've been carrying around in your spirit the feeling that at some point, at some time, something has to shift, something has to break, something has to open up, and you've been wondering, God, where are you? And all across your newspapers and your social media fade and the, the, the newscasters, they've been whispering a prophetic truth in the natural that there is a structured reopening coming to your life. It's not all happening at once. It's not all going to happen at the same time, but in a structured way, in a systematic way, things that have been closed are about to reopen in your life. Things that have been shut down in your finances and in your family and in your business and in your social structure are about to reopen in your life. Elbow somebody and say, it will reopen. Three specific doors for this presentation to align the prophecy in the context of Scripture. Number one, a door of new beginnings. A door of new beginnings. If, you, if you're ready to kiss this year goodbye like I am, let me encourage you. God is going to give us a door of new beginnings. The coming months and even next year will not be a replay of what we have seen this year. No matter how they try to sell it, no matter what the fear mongers try to peddle, what is about to take place is a new beginning. After a long season of dryness and difficulty and storm, God always has a habit of replenishing, renewing, and restoring the earth. David said, you are the God when I've gone through my darkest night season that knows how to restore my soul. God does this in our lives by in series bringing new beginnings to our life. You are exiting a season that you're never going to enter again. You are shutting the door behind you on a misery and a season of lack and difficulty that you're never going to visit it like this again. There will not be another season in your lifetime like this season. You're getting ready to shut the door and a door of new beginnings is open for you. Some of you had to deal with stuff in your personal life this year that you're never going to have to deal with again. Once you dealt with it that one time, you're never going to have to visit it again. Some of you have had to bury the person you most didn't want to bury, but you're never going to have to go through that kind of grief again. You already got the worst of it behind you. You didn't think you would survive, but to your shock and surprise by the mercy and grace of God, you are still here. And that that thing will never visit you again. 
lack and poverty will never visit you again. Having to depend on other people to be a crutch for you, that kind of dependency will never visit you again. It's the door of a new beginning. We see it in the life of Noah. God told Noah, he said, I want you to build and I want you to preach. I'm going to send a catastrophe to the earth. I'm going to send something to the earth that causes it to be destroyed so that it can be replenished. When God allows things to be destroyed, it's not because he's cruel and it's not because he's operating in judgment just to wipe everybody out. Sometimes God will send destruction that he may usher in a new beginning. And so God told Noah, I want you to build an ark because a flood's going to come to destroy the earth. But then I want you to go preach to everybody you can and invite them to come on the ark with you. So Moses got a Bible in one hand and a hammer in the other, and he's building and he's preaching and he's preaching and he's building. But all the people he was preaching to looked at what he was building and what he was preaching. And they said, you've lost your mind. You're plumb crazy, you know. There's no way what you're saying is going to happen. And, and so nobody but his own family agreed to come on the ark. And, and what's so sad about it is the salvation of the ark was a free gift. Not by works. All you had to do was just get on the ark before it started raining. But that was the contingency. That you got to get on the ark before it started raining. And Noah preached for 120 years and not one person said amen to his message. And not one person came and got on the ark. So Genesis 7 says something interesting. It says that when it started to rain, God told Noah and his family to get on the ark. They got all the animals on the ark. And then it says, and the Lord shut him in. In other words, once they all got on the ark, God shut the door. Everybody say, God shut the door. Now, we read in Revelations, the doors that God shuts, no man can open. And I started to, 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 to press that and study. God, why did you shut the door? It's because God knew that as soon as the flood started, all those people that wouldn't listen to good preaching for 120 years would run to the ark and start banging on the door. And God knew because of Noah's propensity to be compassionate that even though he had warned them and gave them 120 years worth of chances, God knew that Noah, even then, when he heard them banging on the outside of the door and there's drowning, God knew Noah would open the door. And so God said, I'm going to shut it so not even you can mess this up. Sometimes God will keep doors shut to keep unqualified people out of your blessing. Uh, see, see, there's some people that you should cut off from, but you don't have the, the heart fortitude. You're too tender. You're too kind. And, and you keep relationships alive that should have died a long time ago because the reality is they're toxic. And if you bring their toxicity into your ark, it'll poison the whole thing. And so because God is such a good God and a wise God and a loving God, sometimes God will keep doors closed that you tried to open. There are some relationships 
relationships that you tried to nurture and you tried to keep alive and you're still hurt this morning that the thing didn't work out. But the reality is it didn't work out because they were not qualified to travel with you on the road to your destiny and God kept the door closed so they would not pollute your future with their toxicity. There's some family members that you're mourning and crying because y'all aren't close anymore. The truth of the matter is you didn't need to be close. Their poison and their toxicity and the mess that they're going through, God would not allow that to pollute your future and your destiny. So dry your tears and make you some new friends and spend time with God-aligned relationships. And don't weep over closed doors. I'm going to say it again. Somebody needs to hear it. Don't weep over closed doors. If they left you, if they cut you off, if they wouldn't return your phone calls, let them go. Don't weep over my God. Don't weep over closed doors. So Noah and his family, they're on the ark 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is the number of transition out of the old into the new, out of one place and into a new beginning. And so after 40 days, God, the same God that shut the door, opened it and gave them a structured reopening. He didn't just open it and, you know, knowing his family all run out. They had to get all the animals off, you know, two by two. There was order to it. There was structure to it. There was organization to it, but it was a structured reopening. Same things going to happen in your life. One thing at a time, just a structured reopening. Going to be like a domino effect. This hit that, hit that, hit that, hit that, and just a domino effect, a structured reopening in your life. And it begins, it begins, it begins with a new beginning. What happened yesterday is irrelevant to the season you're about to step into. What happened yesterday has no impact on what's going to happen tomorrow when you step through the door of a new beginning. Somebody shout a new beginning. Number two, the door of productivity. Everybody look at somebody and say, be productive. The door of productivity. Now I want you to think about this. Our faith, the Christian faith, it's Christianity is the natural outgrowth of Judaism. Our faith, the Christian faith, uh, the patriarch, the founder of it is a man named Abraham. And God would bless Abraham by giving him a supernatural son, a miracle child, Isaac. And then Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, came through the lineage and the line of the tribes of Israel. And so very important to our faith, these themes and the theme of being productive and having children and multiplying the seed and the original blessing that God gave Adam uh, lifted off of Adam and Eve when they sinned and fell on Abraham. And that original blessing was be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, take dominion. And, and so be fruitful. That's a big part of it. Multiply. That's a big part of it. But the problem is Abraham, Isaac and Jacob all married barren women. I want you to think about that, you know, this whole thing, this whole promise that God has given is to you and your seed and what I'm going to do for your kids. But, but, but initially when it all started off, it all started off with, with barren women. Sarah was barren and, and Rebecca, Isaac's wife was barren and Rachel, Jacob's wife was barren. 
And it goes beyond just mere physical health issues or limitations. The scripture said that God had closed the womb. Why would you make me a promise to be fruitful and to multiply and give me that commandment and, and then allow my circumstances and my steps to be ordered in a way that I'm conjoined and, and connected with somebody who's barren? Because God will always ask you to do things that are impossible without him. I'm going to say that again. God will always ask you to do things that are impossible without him. And so the second thing is, Sometimes God will leave a door shut to keep you from producing the right thing at the wrong time. Sometimes it's not necessarily barrenness. Sometimes it's just not the right season. And for Sarah, it was God's will for her to be tested. Tested in the waiting process of faith. God wanted to prove to the first lady of faith that faith is not just something for your husband, Abraham. Faith is something I'm going to do for you personally in your life. And so God waited until it was impossible because really that's when faith works the best and God gets the most glory. When you've exhausted natural capabilities and natural options, and your back's in the corner, and the only thing left is the supernatural miracle working power of God. And so God allowed Sarah to wait in faith until it was naturally impossible. She's barren and she's 90 years old. No way it can happen. And when it was impossible, God gave her a miracle. And then for Rebecca in Genesis 25 and 21, it wasn't the test of waiting in faith for Rebecca. It was the test of agreement. Everybody say agreement. She went to Isaac and, and said, Isaac, I need you to pray for me. And scripture says Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea. Now, something interesting about this. Um, Sarah, it, it was a, a test of faith, you know. I've seen God do great things for my husband, and I believe God's able, but I just don't know if he'll do it for me. It was that personal faith test. For Rebecca, uh, she's got all the faith in the world, and she's praying, but it didn't open for her until she came into agreement with her husband. When, when the two spouses got together in agreement, that's what it required for that door to open. And there's a lot of people that got great faith. My heels are real sharp. I hope I don't destroy your toes. There's a lot of people that got great faith at church. But when they go home, there is zero agreement in the house. And you get up every morning and you pray for three hours and you walk around and talk in tongues. But when it comes to agreeing with your spouse and moving together in unity, you're a spiritual infant. You have no maturity. You'll fight over stuff till you forget what the fight was about and just fight for fight's sake. And what Rebecca found out 
is that there are some doors that do not open until there is unity and agreement in the relationship. And I want to tell you, those of you that are married, those of you that are married, Satan is fighting your agreement. It's not about the paycheck or how you divide money. The war over money is being influenced by a devil that wants you to disagree. It's not about what's on your social media page or if you both need to combine the... No, the fight is about the devil doesn't want you to have agreement. The fight isn't about your mother mother-in-law or her mother. It's about agreement. The enemy wants to fight your relationship in the area of agreement and he'll use any kind of mask he can use. He'll raise up any kind of issue he can raise up so long as he can start a fight and you're not in agreement because the devil knows when husbands and wives begin to pray the same thing, say the same thing, set their faith in the same direction that there is nothing hell can do to stop that family when the man and the woman get in agreement. But because we're more emotional than we are spiritual, because we're more informed by our flesh and our pride and how we feel about things, we would rather maintain a defensive posture. Better not come in this house and look at that sink full of dishes like I'm supposed to do. Why don't you ever roll up your sleeves and come do the dishes? Why are you looking at the vacuum cleaner? Am I the only one that knows how to vacuum? Sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about with your lying, deceitful, immature self. Digging for receipts in the pan. What'd you spend $15.78 on? You know what it is? It's, it's those feelings from the flesh impulse. The enemy is using like a puppet master to pull your strings, trying to ruin the agreement in your home. But the devil is a liar. You want to see breakthrough? Get in agreement. You want to see power? Get in agreement. You want to see chains break? So she prayed for years. God, open up this door. Open up this door. Open up this door. And God heard her and didn't do nothing. It wasn't, and I'm sure he prayed on his own for years. God, you know, we're supposed to be multiplying this seed thing. Can I get a kid to pop out, please? You know? But his didn't work. Hers didn't work. Theirs worked. Good. Now, you think, ah, pastor, that's Old Testament. Why are you bringing my relationship with my spouse into my relationship with God? Why are you going to cross lines like that? You know what Peter said? Husbands? Oh, it's quiet, and that's how I like it. Ah. Uh, means you're taking this toast off it. Peter said... Peter said, husbands, that when you have spoken harsh, negative words to your wife, Peter said, don't pray. 
He said, God won't hear your prayer. So when you come to the altar and you realize you've spoken negative words to your wife, go to your wife and fix it and then come back and your prayer will be heard. Now, is Peter saying that is Peter saying that God's just sticking up for wives? No, the principle is agreement. When there is unity. Okay? When there is unity. David taught you in the Psalms, when there is unity, God commands his blessing and life forevermore. So, all that little bickering that's been going on, I've, I've been feeling it in my spirit. I've been feeling the tension in your house. I'm trying to rest in my house, and I'm feeling the tension in your house prophetically. I've come to speak to the bickering. Let the bickering die. Let it go out like a flame. Let it be quenched in the name of Jesus, and let unity and peace in the home begin to rise now. Let unity in the relationship and peace in the relationship begin to rise now. God, thank you for reminding us that we're believers who have been forgiven and set free. And we're called to be ministers of reconciliation and unity. And once you get the unity thing, if you find out. Baby, what are you praying for this week? And you start praying what your spouse is praying. If y'all get your prayers aimed at a target, God will open those doors. You'll be amazed at what you see when you come into agreement. All right. Now, number or the next one, which is Rachel, which is Rachel. Thank you for telling me I'm teaching good. I appreciate it. That's the only you're teaching good I got during that whole point. But that's okay. It was still good. You needed it. Take the medicine. Don't look at me like that. Your looks don't make me mad. You can't intimidate me. I've lost more members than I ever lost during this pandemic because I decided to provoke people and have church anyway. I don't care if you're mad at me for telling you to be nice to your spouse. I don't care if you're mad at me for telling you to dial your attitude back. Act like you got some maturity. Act like you're a Christian, not just at church, but at home. Now, Sarah's test was faith, faith in waiting, right? Rachel's test was agreement. Or, no, uh, Rebecca's test was agreement. Rachel's test, Jacob's wife, her test was the test of desperation. Now, it's going to go over a lot of people's heads, but it's okay because I like it. So Rachel went to Jacob and said, after years of trying to produce, she went to Jacob and she said, got him by the coat, you know, and said, Give me a child, lest I die. I almost said something about that, but I'm not going to say it. How many husbands wish your wife would grab you when you got home from work and say, All the men looking real scared right now. It's so funny. You want to clap, but she's sitting next to you. And you don't know how that would go. I am desperate to have a child. Give me one or I'm going to die. Desperation. Desperation. And yet, as desperate as she was, Every year, God keep the, keep the door closed. 
So you know what? Every year she got a little more desperate. And then she'd pray again, and, and every year God keeps the door closed. Then the Bible says that her sister, that God blessed her, favored her, and opened her womb. So her sister's like hyperproductive. And she's unproductive. Have you ever been unproductive around hyperproductive people? It's an interesting kind of stab wound. And uh, so every year she has to wait, she gets more desperate. And then adding insult to injury, every year her crazy sister has another kid. She gets more desperate. And God is using two things to crank up the dial on her desperation. He's using the ticking clock. Every year it doesn't happen. And he's using the motivation of seeing someone close getting more and more and more of what you are desperate for. But when you look at that, it seems like God's mean, you know? Like, why won't you just open the door and let the woman have a baby? God would not allow her to casually conceive because she was destined to produce two babies. One of them named Joseph, who would preserve the entire family. In other words, the one baby Joseph she's going to have is going to be the baby that ends up feeding her husband and all the other 12 kids the other sister had. One kid is going to have to take care of the whole family, right? And then her second child, Benjamin, he's going to sire a succession of kings that goes all the way through the kings of Israel and doesn't end until we see the apostle Paul in the New Testament. So God is creating a certain type of environment to birth greatness. If you're taking notes, greatness is always birthed out of desperation. The Apostle Paul, 1,500 years later, is desperate to go to Rome because he's carrying the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wants to spread it in the most powerful empire because he knows the most powerful empire can help it spread to all of the world, and he is desperate. He's so desperate that when they took him to the whipping post, like they took Jesus to the whipping post, Paul didn't die at the whipping post. He's so desperate to get to Rome and preach the gospel that when they stoned him at Lystra, they led him out of the city on the trash pile as if he was dead, and he woke up from nearly being dead and stumbled back to his study because he was so desperate to preach the gospel. He was so desperate to preach the gospel that the shipwreck he went through, through the hurricane Eurekladon, did not kill him or cause him to succumb to hypothermia. This was a man who was desperate. Why? Because 1,500 years earlier, his ancient great-grandmother, Rachel, 
was desperate. And what she produced out of her desperation carried the desperate gene. If you're taking notes, desperation will always produce desperation. Greatness will always produce greatness. And so sometimes when God knows you're cooking something great, he will let you sit in a cycle of increasing desperation. There's somebody that is desperate this morning because you've been waiting on something to open for a long time. And every year that passes, you get more desperate and more desperate and more desperate and your soul begins to ache. But I came to announce to you that when you are desperate, that is when you are close. When you are desperate, that is when the soil is in the right condition to receive what God wants to birth in your life. I came to tell you that God did not create you to produce the casual. God created you to produce great things. God did not create you to produce normalcy. God created you to produce supernatural things that will long outlive you. And when you're cooking kings, you have to have the ingredient of desperation. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. Now, now, that doesn't mean nothing to anybody in the room unless you're desperate. But this is not a message, it's a prophecy to the desperate people. Wherever you are desperate in your life, I speak to you right now and I say that door will open. God's making you wait for a reason. God's making you wander in that cycle for a reason. God means for you to feel the way you feel because there's some people when they have a baby and they're not desperate, it's just a normal thing. But you raise a baby different when you were desperate for one. You, you handle a job different when you were desperate for one. You handle a position different when you were desperate for it. When there's desperation, desperation removes the ability to be casual and cavalier about the things God gives you. In fact, in fact, some of you, some of you that are, you know, real sensitive in your spirit have just, have just noticed like almost a withdrawal from the intensity of the spirit of God in this season. You know, that's not real popular stuff to say in church, but, but I'm going to say it. And most of you won't know anyway because you don't chase God like that, you know, real passionately. So it's not going to bother you for me to say it. But, but those of you that are passionate pursuers of God have sort of noticed that there's almost been like this block between heaven and earth. That, that when you read, it's been hard to read. And when you pray, it's been like hard to pray. There's been like a barrier there. And when you worship, you know, there was a time when the presence of God just sweeped in when you would worship. But now you're worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. And it's like you're just getting a few little drops here or there. There's been an intensity and a, a difficulty. And, and it's not that the demonic activity has increased. And it's not that, that God's mad at us. You need to go back and read the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, sometimes it teaches one of the principles that sometimes the lover of our soul will run and hide to see if we're desperate enough to go seek after and chase him. Sometimes when he said in Jeremiah, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. In other words, there's going to be some 
seasons and times in your walk with God where he'll hide intentionally just to see if you're desperate enough to go searching and, and turning over the tables and looking for him and seeing where are you in this season? Where are you in my life? I know you don't like preaching like this. You want everything handed to you, but there are some things in your walk with God that you will never uncover until you get desperate enough to seek out and to search. Desperation. And then finally, number three, finally, door number three is the door of an unwilling neighbor. It's a structured reopening. Go with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, the, the door that God wants to open concerning this, this unwilling neighbor means that there are some doors God's going to open for you, and he's going to use people that don't even want to be used. God's going to make people bless you that don't want to bless you. God's going to make people bless you that are mad at you. Let me set this up. Came to pass, he was praying in a certain place. All right, listen. Jesus is praying. And uh, when he ceased, one of his disciples said, uh, teach us to pray like that. You know, John taught his disciples how to pray, and, and we noticed you're praying, and, and uh, we want you to teach us to pray like that. Verse 2. And so he said to them, well, when you pray, say, and he gives them the model prayer, you know, at our Father in heaven, you know, and he's teaching them to pray. But then look down at what he says about that in verse 5. He said, this is, this is a, a parable, an analogy something that he's using to tell them about the force and power if they will just do what he said and pray. He said, um, which of you shall have a friend? Uh, notice the little F. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, notice the big F, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend, little f, of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer you from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. Everybody say that with me. The door is now shut. Now everybody say, structured reopening. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus said, verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, so I say to you, said all that to say this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Now, he's not saying that you're going to get everything you ask for. But you will get something. That went right over your head. I mean, just. He's saying prayer is so powerful. You can ask for anything. And even if you don't get what you want, you always get something when you pray. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, and everyone who knocks, 
the door opens for them. The doors are about to open in your life. Receive this prophetic word. I know you got a blanket on you for some reason. I'm telling you, you'll remember it and you'll get excited when you see it explode in your life. The doors are about to open in your life. Now, look at look back at the text. Look back at the text. He said, he's teaching about prayer. He says, uh, which of you shall have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, everybody say midnight. You go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come on a journey. Uh, look, verse 5, if you're taking notes, I want to give you these quick and I'll be out of your way. Uh, the inference in the scripture is they're friends. And if the man would have gone to his friend while it was still day, you know, or at least at a halfway decent hour, he would have happily opened the door for him. This door is closed, not because the neighbor is a jerk. This door is closed because it ain't the right time to come to my house and bang on my door at midnight and ask me for no bread. I mean, I love you. Don't come to the side's house at midnight. Right? So it's, it's, not, it's not that this door wouldn't have opened for him. It's that it wasn't the right time. Even if you feel like it's too late to ask, ask anyway. When I wrote that down, it knocked me out of my chair and I knew it was for somebody. And I don't know if you're watching online or if you're in the room. The word of the Lord to you, to that thing you've been carrying in your head, the word is, even if it feels like it's too late to ask, ask any way. It is not too late to ask. Then verse six, verse six, verse six. He says, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey and I don't have anything to set before him. I don't have anything to feed him. Now, the traveler that has come to visit represents opportunity because opportunity is a visitor. It never comes to live with you. You don't just live in opportunities. They only visit you at certain seasons of your life. And the problem with this man is opportunity has visited him in a night season where he does not have any resources in the house to feed what has visited him. Because just because an opportunity presents itself to you does not mean that you have the resources to feed it when it presents itself. Just because a great opportunity to invest in something presents itself to you does not mean you have $100,000 to invest. So you can't always feed the opportunities that present themselves. This was the case with the man. But this opportunity was so important that he said, wait here, don't leave. I'm going to run next door real quick, even though it is not the right time. And I'm going to ask my friend if he'll let me borrow some bread so that I do not miss this opportunity. I want to tell you for what God's about to send your way next. You got to beg, borrow, do whatever you have to do. But make sure when a gift presents itself to you that you feed that thing. Make sure when soil presents itself to you that you sow into that thing. If you got to go somewhere and borrow the resources, make sure you feed the opportunity. And so, and so he goes and, and he, he starts asking. And he starts seeking. And he starts knocking. And the answer comes back from the house in verse 7. He says, do not trouble me. Everybody say one. The door is now shut. 
My children are in bed. I cannot rise and give you anything. Four no's. How many no's do you quit after? It says with God, nothing is impossible. It's just, you know, you got to find out how many no's you have to get to before impossible becomes possible. Daddy says it all the time. You give Tylenol longer to work than God. And a lot of us in this milk toast Christian era that we're living in, in this generation, a lot of us quit too quick. I'm convinced there are blessings, opportunities, and open doors that God has for you that you haven't received yet because you quit praying after the first no. Remember the, the context of the parable. Jesus is teaching this to explain why he said, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He, he's wanting them to understand Going to your father in prayer and faith and asking is a power. It's a power spiritual dynamic that always yields something. Okay? That you should never quit on your prayer if it's in your heart to do it. Even if you don't see it manifesting in the time that you would like, God may have you in a desperation cycle. That's fine. He knows what he's doing. But keep asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus said, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is open to them. Stand to your feet. Doors are reopening in your life. Doors that have been shut are reopening in your life doors of new beginning, new beginning, new beginning. Ray and Deja, you cannot live in San Antonio like you lived in Ohio. God brought you here for a new beginning, new beginning for your marriage, new beginning for your business, new beginning for your mindset. You almost need like a brain wipe because everything you went through back there None of it is indicative of what you will face while you were here. God brought you here with an open door of new beginning and the blessing of the Lord is on your lives. The blessing of the Lord is going to visit your finances in beautiful ways. The blessing of the Lord is going to visit your home. The blessing of the Lord is going to come upon your influence. The blessing of the Lord is going to add the right people in the right places at the right time in season. It's the door of a new beginning, the door of productivity. God designed us to produce. God, the creator, made us in his image. He designed you to produce. So produce in the name of Jesus. Put, produce, put your hand on somebody or your elbow on somebody and say produce in the name of Jesus. Everything that's keeping you blocked up, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I command the free flow of thinking, the free flow of creative energy, the free flow of things in your mind that open up ideas and, and new strategies and plans and dreams and systems and books. And I command the free flow. And then, and then the door of an unwilling neighbor that God would give you favor 
that allows you to be able to stand in front of doors that people don't want to open and them open it anyway. Anyway, Pastor Dalisha called Pastor Katie yesterday and there's a really, really great job with a really great position that she doesn't qualify for and that she didn't apply for. And 30 other people with specific education that had put in time and, and checked all the boxes, 30 highly competitive people applied for that job. They skipped over all of those people and they gave it to Delicia and she never even applied for it. The door of an unwilling neighbor. The door opening at the wrong time. Somebody, they said you were too old to that door to open. They said you missed that season. The devil is a liar. That door is going to open for you with your old self. That door is going to open for you. The door of an unwilling neighbor. I'm talking about jobs you do not qualify or have the paperwork for. I'm talking about the forgiveness of loans that you do not qualify for. You make too much money to receive that assistance for that loan, but it's going to come anyway. Doors are going to start opening in your life. The door of an unwilling neighbor. Contracts are coming. Advancement is coming. Strength is coming. It's the door. Jesus said in Revelation, you, you, you've done three things. He said, you've kept my word kept my word you've kept my word doesn't mean you've obeyed the word all the time it means you kept the word as the standard and you when you were wrong you said I'm wrong the words right you kept the word as the standard and God knows there's not enough people in this society in this day and age that keep the word the standard but 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 you the way you feel sitting in this church the way you feel is when I'm right I'm right when I'm wrong I'm wrong but God's word is the truth God's word is the standard he said you've kept the standard he said, you've kept my word. He said, number two, you've not denied my name. You've not denied my name. That's why we put such an emphasis on the name of Jesus in this church, specifically the name of Jesus. And then number three, he said, and you, you got a little strength. Now, that, that little strength, oh, that's how I've been feeling lately. A lot of us started out this year with big strength. You know, I know I did. I was, I was revved up about what we were going to do this year. And this year has been like a battering ram, you know? And, and life will do that to you sometimes. It'll take big strength and batter it all the way down to, to little strength. But in the text, I realized Jesus was attracted and impressed by their little strength goes back to what he said about mountain-moving faith. He said, if you have faith, faith the size of a... What's that? Little, little faith. See, what we don't realize is when it's the real thing, faith in Jesus. When it's the real thing, it don't take much. I can tell I've been preaching to people with little strength. Okay? I can tell. I can feel it. You know? But I want to remind you 
it's real. It doesn't take much. God is attracted to your faith. He's impressed by your little strength. And because of those three things, you kept my word, you didn't deny my name, and you got a little strength left. He said, so because of that, I have set before you an open door that no man can shut, that no politician can shut, that no court can shut. I've set before you an open door. And so I want you to watch your life over the coming months. There's going to be a structured reopening in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, I speak your blessing upon your people. I speak your kindness and your grace upon your people. I speak that the Lord your God would bless you and open doors for you. I speak the release of raises, bonuses, contracts. I speak opportunities you weren't even expecting to begin to manifest in your life. I speak unity and peace in your home. I speak health and healing over your bodies. I speak that the Lord your God will go before you and make every crooked place straight. I speak that God would empower your mind with the energy needed to do what he's called you to do in this season. I pray that the Lord bless you over and above anything you were hoping that your eyes have not seen and your ears have not heard and it hasn't even entered your heart the things God has in store, in store, in the storehouse for you. I pray today that you be blessed in the work of your hands. I pray today that you be blessed in your going out and your coming in. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you if you have an